Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 1420 The Watch Clicker Podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm good. I was just wondering if next time you could set your beer against the table a little louder. Right then. <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Uh, yeah, th- I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually like feeling good, good, but my family <clears throat> has all sort of gotten sick in the last few days. We're, we're very well COVID tested at this point. We don't have COVID, which is always the immediate concern, but there has been a number of, uh, a number of s- sick feelings in the house. Did you do the rectal tests? Uh, n- no. Oh. Is that a thing? Could be. Okay. Uh, yeah, but doing, doing well. I'm, I'm happy to not be, uh, sick. How, how are you, Andrew? Hang in there. Today was a, today was a day. My, uh, two-year-old's classroom this morning, we got an email at about six o'clock. Closed because of teacher shortages for sick call-outs. And then I got a text from you and said your kids were staying home because they w- weren't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And then my wife sussed that out. She was like, well, Mark was in exactly the same environment for his kids for the same period of time. We should probably keep him home. I was like, well, you're not wrong. You're not right because you're going upstairs to go to work. <laughs> and that leaves me alone on a day I intended to be alone. Yeah. Alone with two kids. I was, as a result, alone with two kids today. So I'm a little tired, yeah. I'm a little worn out, and a little grumpy. But this Wildberry Truly Seltzer is not helping. I think maybe the Black Cherry will. So I just got to get through this one quick. I've got another question. Yes. <clears throat> will. Will. <laughs> He's, Will's here. Will, how are you? I'm just, I'm just waiting patiently for my yeah. intro. I'm no longer... Andrew's good friend, apparently. I've been demoted. Well, I mean, I didn't want to be, you know, show too much favoritism. I think it's the first time we've had you on where I didn't just like shit on Everett for like, a, a mean it amount is. of time. I, I was a little offended that you didn't. You know, I like to mix things up from <laughs> time okay. to time. I was a little thrown off because I got to open my beverage but not take a sip. And then my voice was a little scratchy. And I just, I, I, yeah, I, it got away from me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I punish him for weeks after every time it happens. So I think maybe he's. He's just learning his lesson. Nah, if it was the punishment, I'd like that. So <laughs> I figured we were just going to do that anyway. Stockholm Syndrome. <coughs> Will from another coast in the United States and many, many time zones away. How are you, man? How's how's things going? Uh, good, good. I'm doing well. Uh, the kids went back to daycare after being home for a week because of COVID exposures, which thankfully all negative. Uh, but, you know, having two kids at home who just want attention is as you know exhausting so it was nice to send them off and get back to normal good riddance and we're hoping that they make it a couple weeks before the inevitable next exposure Mm -hmm. right yeah that's sort of the name of the game but other than that yeah yeah other than that all good business as usual everything's busy and but well oiled can't complain gotta get the lube on (laughs) what what have you uh what have you got in inventory in the uh in the queue right now uh, quite a bit. So, um, I've got the Breitling Super Ocean, uh, which that'll be the next video review, probably early next week. Um, and then I've got, uh, the Brew Metric, which I posted a couple days ago. Um, 
I'm not sure if I'm doing a written or a video of that it'll get reviewed something. Um, and then John also sent over the eight bit mm-hmm. brew also for me to check out, which is super cool. Um, uh, kind of want one. Uh, what else do I have? I've got something else. Um, I don't remember, but I, uh, you guys know yesterday I got in the, the Serica 5503, which I'll, I'll do definitely do a review of. Um, cause I know everybody's curious about the bracelet, Yeah, <laughs> uh, which I, I love, um, and uh, I just found out that it fits on a Speedmaster, so that's fun to know. Which means uh, vice vice versa some... as well. <clears throat> um, so I was able to get the beads of rice bracelet from Uncle Seiko and the flat link from Uncle Seiko for the Speedmaster on the Serica, so they fit. Um, so I'm guessing most things swap back and forth. You know, similar lug shapes. You know, they have those twisted liar lugs and everything. So. I've got something else in for review, but I don't remember what it is. You've got one of those new, one of those herons, in, don't you? That has come okay. and gone. Um, the yeah, the review's up for that. Um, that was just a written review. I mean, I, of course, I read every review on the website. So he didn't of know course, though. I listen to every podcast. You didn't know that if he, you know, <laughs> hadn't sent it back. Maybe it's the way we handle reviews, and it sits in a box ready to send back for months. You, you know, new <laughs> new review on the website. I uh, thought maybe we could just talk about it because I think it's a little bit different than than our typical fare. Uh, Furry Wrist Abroad, who's that's that's the this this writer's uh, preferred preferred handle, uh, published or well, I guess we published Furry Wrist Abroad's Bull of a Precisionist Chronograph review on the website. Not the most. Uh, not the most uh, generous review we've ever had on the website. One of the more fun reviews, though, I think. Um, kind of a, a a different pace and a little bit different tone. Also, definitely not the smallest watch we've had on the website. One of the bigger watches, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's forty six. Yeah, it's a big. It's it's a big, big old watch. That's a th- yeah. Lug to lug is fifty five. <laughs> <It's> huge. <laughs> <laughs> tombstone furry likes him big though so that's his yeah. jam yeah that was a that was a fun review Any, anything else we've had we you know we obviously had of our our article about uh the new paypal tax oh yeah the 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 hunter review published on january 6 ocean hunter reviews your is your yep. phone scrolling on its own based on your voice i'm not sure i'm not sure that can happen it's a nice feature i it made, it made me uncomfortable. His phone was like, oh, maybe it's the size of the... <laughs> it's funny. That bull of a precisionist picture is so big that as it was scrolling tiles, it was actually expanding and detract and contracting the, the print below. I, that's just Everett's old man text size. That's right. Perhaps. <laughs> so, you know, your eyes go bad. It's It happens to everybody. Yeah. It'll happen to you too. Maybe someday. Well, so well, we've got a fun topic. This is a topic actually uh, that we've been circulating for a while. I think Andrew, like most of our topics, Andrew kind of proposed this, and we've been uh, jamming back and forth on it as a group for a while. And this kind of got gelled, I don't know, a, a month or so ago, and we've spent the last month kind of thinking about our picks. But we're doing today a little bit different spin on our Poor Man's series uh, oftentimes when we do these poor man's episodes, we'll pick a watch 
and then come up with several sort of less expensive, notably less expensive versions of that watch that may scratch different itches uh, in in sort of a, a consumer exercise uh, for the affordable watch fan. We're, we're going to do something a little bit different today, which is we've each picked sort of iconic um, but but expensive watch, oftentimes on the more expensive side. And we're going to come up with a replacement. The, the, the goal was to pick an objectively better or equivalent replacement for that watch at a much more affordable price. So we've all done that kind of differently. I actually like having reviewed our picks and our, and our decisions. We've done that a little bit different in an effort to provide some context for our choices and, and also to sort of explore what we're getting and what we're missing with these picks, we've each scored both versions, the iconic version and the poor man's version. And so we'll just take some time to talk through that and what that might mean for, for you or for us if we were to make these decisions. Am I, am I missing anything? That's it. It's the Watch Clicker Presents. The poor man's our favorites. Our favorite poor man's. Yeah, and... I would like to give a shout out to Eric EA8 who uh, pitched the original idea for this, which I think was he was hoping for probably something a little bit different, which was I think he was hoping for us to actually find the watches that were better. And some cases maybe we did, in some cases maybe we didn't. Um, but yeah, I did want to give a shout out to Eric for throwing this little spin on you know our poor man's version. Topic. Our poor man's watches are objectively better for your wallet. In in oh, every regard, I don't think any of us picked a poor man's version that was more expensive than the OG. Yeah, and we can talk about this as we, as we go through, but y- you know there is some truth, at least some truth, to the idea that y- you get what you pay for with watches, and and whether that's a meaningful, wh- whether the thing you're getting is meaningful or not, in some regards all of our choices kind of suss that out, right? The, the more you spend, the, the more you get, at least in some regards. In some regards, but I think if, and we're not doing the Speedmaster today, but I think if we were to go at our objective rating scale of the Speedmaster and rate it against any of the poor man's speedies, I think, I think the, the Speedmaster itself loses to even the SSB just based on water resistance alone. I don't think it can... I don't think it can overcome the water resistance deficit because there's just no reason in the world for it to not have more water resistance. You get what you pay for as many times as you get it. Well, there's that guy that, I don't know if he's still on Instagram, but there was that guy that, I forget what his handle was. It was like Speedmaster in water or something. Yeah. And it was just pictures of his Speedmaster like in the ocean, going diving, whatever. And, you know, his, his thing was kind of, the water resistance doesn't matter as long as you're not going hundred feet underwater. It, 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 it's interesting to know, which we all it, know. It's interesting to note. I haven't heard nor seen of, I haven't seen nor heard of that guy for several years. So, uh, <laughs> Omega stopped providing him speed masters to, <laughs> who, who knows, inundate. Yeah. who knows what happened there. Well, well with that in mind, uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to sort of lead this thing off. Kick us off with with my choice because I'm kind of excited to talk about it. so um I've gone I've I, I I approached this I actually had the benefit of seeing both of your guys picks before I settled on 
my two watches for this show. And I think that my I think that my poor man's watch is the most expensive. In fact, I'm certain. I'm certain my poor man's watch is the most expensive of the one. Oh, that's not true. No, my, mine is. Uh, but in any event, I think it's a good place to kick us off because I've picked a classic Flieger watch, the Luftwaffe Flieger watch as my as my choice. And I think that that watch is in uh, a couple of respects sort of a really simple, really basic, really classic watch, sort of like a classic army field watch in, in some ways, you, you know, where the design is kind of set, uh, the basic design elements are kind of set, and what companies do with those designs is kind of bound to those initial design parameters. With that said, the iconic version that I've gone with, and it it, it, it's, it serves, bear, it bears to mention that this watch is not the classic Flieger, but the IWC Big Pilot, and I've picked, just, just for the sake of specificity, the 43 millimeter IWC Big Pilot, mm-hmm. which... I think if you're going to criticize that watch, and, and I know Will is willing to criticize that watch because I've heard him do it, it it's a very, mm-hmm. very boring watch. Almost certainly purposefully so. Mm-hmm. By design, very much so. With that said, it is undoubtedly an iconic watch. IWC being one of the five sort of original, uh, you, you know, German Air Force watches, which... That's a it, it, that's potentially problematic, right? <laughs> the, the, these these it just bears mentioning these are watches made for Nazis during World War II, but by Nazis for Nazis. The the watch <laughs> in and of itself is not that, and these watches that are being made are not that. But some people don't like that aspect of these watches, and you, you know, uh, your mileage may vary in that regard. But these are. Both companies. There's a whole bunch of other shit you should stop buying if yeah. that's the way you feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know, there's maybe some nuance there, but yeah, these are these are watches. We're appreciating them for watches. Clearly, not for any of that other nonsense. Um, but IWC, obviously, one of the original five makers of this watch, and they've continued to evolve that watch. So the the big pilot is not the classic 55 millimeter Flieger. It's a much more manageable 43 millimeters. Um, <laughs> Whoever you know, would have thought that much more manageable would be a 43 millimeter watch. Well, right. You're st- not wrong in your assessment, but that's a big ass watch. Still a big watch. I mean, it's called the Big Pilot, so uh, you, you you don't expect it to be dainty. Um, and, and IWC does this in a particularly IWC way. Extreme finishing in-house movement, uh, very good in-house movement, probably not what you'd call, quote, horology, but a really good in-house movement. Anglage on the case, uh, you know, hand finishing, some hand finishing on the movement. This is a really, really nice high-end watch uh, in all respects. Bracelet's going to be great. If you get the bracelet, I've chosen the model on the leather strap, which is probably good for a leather strap uh yeah i really liked the leather strap that i wore um when i tried one of these on 
And so, you know, you're getting all those classic Flieger elements. This is certainly an iconic watch. I've picked a poor man's watch that I think competes with this in a number of respects. So this is a watch we've talked about on the show before. Uh, this is the Laco Augsburg, also the Aachen, Aachen, I think, um, which is, I think, the Type B. So the Augsburg is the Type A. Mm-hmm. And this is Laco's entry level. They call it the basic Flieger. So Laco, notably one of the other five companies who made an original Flieger watch. So you get the heritage. Uh, this is a real no shit. Laco's got a claim to fame on this watch. And also similar to IWC has made their, this original 55 millimeter design into a much more manageable, wearable, everyday 42 millimeter watch. Um, so a little bit smaller. They've got a Miyota, a Japanese movement in it. Uh, there may be some irony there. The movement is, I believe it's the, you can either get these now with the 8215 for about $410, or you can get the new Miyota 8315, which is basically a, a slight revision on the 8000 series with uh, hacking on all versions and also a 60 hour power reserve. So basically in the last year, Miyota's revised its base level, its base level movement to have those extra features that people, I guess, are asking for. Uh, so you're real. That's what I've got in that, um, that Tissel or not Tissel, uh, Tudor sub, uh, build that I got from, uh, Tiger concept. Yeah. It's got an 8315 in it and it's, it's good movement. It's fine. You know, I think I like the longer power reserve and everything. The the big the big criticism that people make of the the eight thousand series is the noise. Is that a, a noisy movement in your experience? It's a little whirly if you know you flip your wrist or something. But you know, if you're not paying attention to it, you'll forget it's there. You know, I think that's true. The nine thousand series too. Mm-hmm. So they're those <laughs> mm-hmm. one direction winding. So I like that whirly that like just give it a good whip and hear that. Zzz, right. I like that. I don't like hearing my date mm-hmm. as though like like a like a movie clacker. I don't like that. But I'm totally down with a movement being noticeable. Yeah, I don't mind it. I think it's kind of fun. Like, what's that noise? Oh yeah, it's the sick ass winding in my automatic movement sucker and then girls are just like oh Everett yeah <laughs> just uh, dense in the floor start dropping <laughs> figure I'll go through the numbers on this real quick because yeah, the, the score is kind of interesting so just uh, uh, spoiler alert the IWC wins and it wins by not a few points so total score 52-46 in favor of the IWC. Um, notably, that's a six-point change. Five of those points can be attributed to water resistance. So the Laco Augsburg is a 50-meter watch. The IWC is a 100-meter watch. That's so huge. That's five points right there. So besides water resistance, the IWC beats the Laco by exactly one point. Um, Laco does better in a couple places. Movement, obviously, or Augsburg, the, the IWC does better in a couple places. Movement, obviously, mm-hmm. we've got a, a base base model Miyota movement in the Laco. We've got in-house 82,000 series in the IWC. There's really no contest there. 
However, being a little bit smaller, the Laco beats the Augsburg on or beats the IWC on size. Um, you, you know, basically dead heat on X Factor. These are both OG Fliegers, almost the same exact sort of loom setup capabilities. Durability, I gave them, I, I went 50 50 on these. Um, We've got a cheaper movement in the Laco, so if your movement goes bad, you swap it out. You're not going to replace an eighty-two thousand movement. You're going to get that thing serviced. You're going to pay gonna the five thousand dollars to bucket load of money. That's right. However, a little bit higher water resistance on the IWC, so I, I I even them out. Strap also. I went even Stevens on these, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. We've got a twenty millimeter lug width on the Laco, twenty-one on the IWC. So I, w- I said that's 50-50, right? So- and it doesn't matter how good your bracelet and strap are. If it's an irregular size convention, yeah, you can't max out. It's a 21-millimeter strap, right? <clears throat> so uh, it's leather, and it's 21, and it's going to be a pain in the dick. So I, I lost a point there. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, <laughs> these watches are basically even. Interestingly enough, the Laco's about two millimeters thinner than the IWC. Oh, that is actually surprising. IWC comes in with more water resistance, but 13 and a half yeah, but that, ish but... for the IWC and 11 and a half ish for the Laco, which is a big difference. It's a huge difference, especially given the size already of these watches. So in that regard, I'm really confident if what you want is a German style OG mid-century Flieger, you know, and it's not just these two watches, right? There's a ton of watches that fit that bill from a ton of really cool companies. Mm -hmm. Archimede, Stova is also one of the OG five. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a ton of watches at or under a thousand dollars that you can pick up in this. You don't have to spend 8,500 for an IWC. However, you can do really well, even at, 480 bucks for a fully loaded Laco Augsburg. Did you look at power reserve for either of these? Yeah, well, so 60 hours, 60 hours on the um Miota, and I think like 50-ish okay. on the 82,000. Yeah, Cl- so the, close enough. The yeah. Laco wins that race by about 10 hours. Hmm. Yeah. Some good picks. What I think is interesting about the Laco is if you look at what I think would be the next step up, which is probably the Stova. Yeah, I think that's right. I didn't realize how expensive their Fliegers have gotten. I remember they, they used to be a few years ago. I think you could get, you know, like the 40 millimeter one or the 42. I think they have a 36 and a 38. I forget. I think they have three or four sizes, but anyway, I think they're all the same price, but uh, they were well under a thousand bucks, and I'm pretty sure they're creeping up towards like fifteen hundred. Stova's on that. So, I mean, Stova's think, price matched almost with Zen across the board. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yep. And I think that speaks to that Laco, you know, kind of fitting into that, you know, that good value for what you are getting, um, which I think is, you know, part of what we're going to see as a common theme with some of these watches is that the quote value proposition is there for them in most respects yeah well i don't know if you pulled those numbers out of your out of your behind but uh i think three years ago the stova their base flieger was about 800 and it's 1600 now so you were basically right on it's that's a crazy leap yeah yeah and i mean that's you know i I think 
that's just been watches in general. Um, I mean, you, I, I've seen it more with Zen because I pay attention more to like the five, five, six and the one Oh four. Um, you know, the, the five, five, six is a $1,600 watch now. And that used to be around a thousand bucks a couple of years yeah, ago. 1200. So I think it's 1200 new all day the course. on that thing well, and used for under a thousand. And you can also week. not get it new. You yeah. got to pay 1600 bucks for it used. Yeah, they're they're getting hard to get. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's I think that's I think that's my first uh or that's that's everything I have to say about my pick. Uh, I don't know which one of you guys wants to go next, but I think we can probably revisit that as we sort of I'm gonna, talk about these other I'm gonna dive into mine. So I went like way it. out of my normal wheelhouse of selections. My Iconic watch is the Nautilus fifty seven eleven. Is there any more iconic watch? It, I'm not sure if there is. <laughs> Everyone recognizes this watch. No one looks. No one sees that watch and says, "Oh, is that a Rolex?" Because they know it's not. Arguably, the most in most people look at it and say, "Is that an Aqua Racer?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's one available on Crown and Caliber for $115,000 right now. Arguably the most in-demand watch in the world. Yeah, it is. And it's a discontinued, it's, there's questions. There's a lot of, a lot of wonder here. But, so we got, so we got the, the Nautilus 5711, which is a phenomenal watch. Not only is it beautiful, it's revolutionary. It is crazy thin. It, it's, it checks all the boxes for something you want. And another mortgage. <laughs> so for those of you prepared to take that on, Godspeed to you. Those things are really thin. I never realized how thin they were until I saw uh, a video on Instagram of some guy doing a wrist roll with it. And I, when I, I saw the, the thinness of the watch and then I realized it was the Nautilus. And I was like, I got to go back and watch this again. And pause at where like where you could see the profile of the watch. I didn't realize how they're thin like they nine are. eight. It's crazy. No, I think eight and a half millimeters eight, on yeah. the Nautilus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's a three piece. I mean the the chassis is like a three piece. Uh, they're pretty cool watch. I mean, it's, no it's, doubt about it. They're extremely cool watches. It's some next level shit. And there's not a reason for it to be one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars, but I accept that price tag. Well, I don't know what MSRP is. <clears throat> is though they're like 50 thirty to forty is my guess. Yeah. <clears throat> Thirty-seven ninety-nine. You just can't yeah, get them. Yeah, it's familiar. Thirty-seven dollars and ninety-nine. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, it's people are really getting gouged in that in the new PayPal laws right now. You just you don't even know. My poor man's pick is the tits out PRX Powermatic eighty for six hundred and fifty dollars. And I'll tell you what, the, I feel like those things are going to become like uh, the Zins that we were just talking about and getting hard to get because so they seem to be a, a darling watch as of late, especially mm-hmm. with the, the automatic version, you know, that you're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, the, the Powermatic, I, I think Tissot's kind of hitting a, a renaissance in recognition um, outside the watch world. I think people like luxury goods enthusiasts are starting to recognize Tiso for not just the value of of them but also the 
the actual in what they're bringing to the game. Uh, and, and we're going to see uh, in the next couple of years, some pretty significant price increases in the entire TSO line, I think just driven by demand. Yeah. I think because you can't get the 5711, but you can get the PRX. You, you know, I think, I think that's why people are paying attention yeah. to it because I think there's a lot of watches that you can't get and they're looking at other Swiss brands. And I think what you're saying about uh, Tiso probably going to be shifting up market a little bit makes sense because there's price wise, not so much in the offerings themselves. There's a lot of overlap with other brands in the Swatch group like Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think Tiso is doing a similar thing that we're seeing, you know, probably Seiko do, you know, five years ago, Seiko start five years ago. Brands like Timex, um, maybe to a lesser extent, Longines, you know, we're seeing brands w- with these great heritages starting to tap into this enthusiast-ish market. You know, folks that are not just buying a watch, but buying a, a watch with particular attributes. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be watch people who drive this up. It's going to be people who fancy themselves as watch people. Like, oh, yeah, it's really hard to get Tiso. They only make 50,000 of them a year, and I have one. <laughs> a day. Um, so let me let me go. So 650 bucks for the Powermatic 80. Uh, let me get my scores up here. Um, the Nautilus wins, and, and the Nautilus wins for, uh-oh. There we go, head-to-head. Uh, Nautilus wins by three points. One of which coming in water resistance. Uh, you know how we talked? We we talk all the time about 110 is the 110 meters of water resistance is the is the amount of water resistance necessary because it maxes out our point scale. Yeah, yeah. 110 meters of water resistance is objectively the best. 120 on the. Nautilus. <laughs> you know, they they turned it up to twelve. <laughs> they just they just turned it up a little bit. So I gave them twelve points. Um no, they got <laughs> they got their eleven points. Uh both of them max out size. Uh here's two. Well, what's the size? What's the diameter difference? I think the, the Nautilus is forty. It's they're both forty. Okay. Uh let me pull up the PRX and double check. I think the PRX is just a touch off. It no, it's forty on the nuts. So size-wise, they're dang near identical. You're going to get a little bit of deviation just because of the case shape. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit more square with the Nautilus, but I think generally you're going to get a really similar wrist feel. Um, <clears throat> Nautilus got a little bit higher. You're never going to feel that on your wrist. No, not with that. <laughs> so the um, I gave the Nautilus an extra point for the bracelet. And... You know, I, I've I've got a sort of an early objection before you start your your description here. Uh, you know, having at, at, at least one time held a Nautilus, I will say I've never touched a bracelet that felt that felt that awesome. And you've given it an eight, and I'm curious if that's an eight. What's a ten? Have you ever had one made of man flesh? No. <laughs> Admittedly, no. Okay, well, that's a ten. <laughs> uh, I, I try to be a little conservative with my strap scoring. I, an eight is fucking good, and it just good. For a ten, it's got to be both good 
and innovative. I think of the Sereca bracelet where we see the uh the the expandable quick adjust. Not not a full twisty flex, but just in the clasp a little bit of expansion. Right? That that's the Oh, you mean the the Zodiac. Oh, it's the Zodiac? Yeah, the Zodiac um that's super seawolf. It's got it's a butterfly clasp and the when you when it folds together it you know completes the logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on each side of the butterfly, it's got a little tiny spring that flexes a little bit, kind of like the, you know, the Pelagos, but that's built for a different reason. That spring, this one's built to actually move with your wrist. Um, And when I'm wearing that, I mean, it never feels tight or loose. It's perfect. And I wish every watch had that. That's some 10 shit for me, right? That's innovation in conjunction with just fine craftsmanship. I mean, that, that, uh, still an not, eight. Not to go too far off. <laughs> still an eight feels uh, okay, but but go ahead. So we'll add two, I, and I give, was... we'll give the the Nautilus gets a ten, and <laughs> and the PRX gets a nine. It doesn't it doesn't make any. Never mind. We have a three point difference here. W- will we keep cutting you off with our banter? Yeah, it, it my my moment's gone. I was going to talk about how that that Zodiac bracelet just looked ridiculous on that watch because it. It just doesn't match, but it's a really good bracelet. <laughs> yeah, no. I wish it was on something else. It, it's true, right? Like, everything's got to match, right? And, and in fact, both of those watches. The, well, that's that's part of the design. The PRX and the Nautilus, you know, really, this is like the epitome of that 1970s, 80s integrated bracelet design. There's something to be said for that. And those both of those watches, at least aesthetically, do that very, very well. Yes, and if you don't like that on the, the Tissot, if you don't like that bracelet, uh, I think Deluxe is coming out with uh, fitted leather straps for them, specific to the PRX. That's which is really cool. Cashing in. That's a sign that if it's Hell if yeah. you're in if you're even considering buying it, they're not going to be six hundred fifty dollars for long. <laughs> Movements matched for me. Don't care if it's in-house. 80 hours of power reserve is dope, even though I don't care about it. Aesthetics match up for me. Just to be clear, you've given these the same movement score. Yeah. Okay. I just I just want I just want everybody to understand I, that, that Andrew's given these two watches the same movement score. I give him the same movement score. I'm just saying. I think I'm that comfortable with that. The TSO should automatically lose a point. Because of how they achieved the eighty hours of power reserve, uh, sorcery slowed the beat rate down. Y- yeah, that, yeah, that's right. But they still achieved eighty hours yeah, of power reserve. They... Yeah, but going slower. It's going. It's still counting seconds at a seconds rate. Yeah, I I, cho- I I did choose the wrong word there, but they slowed the. They beat did rate slow down. the beat rate down. It, and it drives me nuts because there's other uh, manufacturers out there that can get that sort of power reserve, like. Tudor, uh, without slowing the beat rate down. But they're not. Come on, nine millimeters thick. Well, and and the, and the, the Tissot's a ten five. And the twenty six three thirty, admittedly, I think is only like forty hours of power reserve. So yeah, so for forty hour difference, I mean it's hand finished and anglaged for gold, for but. for forty <laughs> hours of difference, you get a tie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this, is, I, this, this isn't 
21 carat solid gold <clears throat> rotor. Uh, but you know. So, okay, then you know what? This watch gets a <laughs> 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. No, 50, 60, 71 points. The Nautilus is a 71-point watch. It's the first perfect watch on our score list, <laughs> according to Everett. It's done. There isn't a better watch on the face of the earth. No, I think this is a, I think this is a good place to talk about this. I mentioned this to you guys yeah. earlier, but I think we're tempted to downgrade watches every once in a while because... Or, or maybe upgrade. not to downgrade. I think we're tempted to upgrade. I think you're right. I think that you're right about that. We're not tempted to downgrade necessarily, but I do think we get tempted to upgrade a watch because of a value it presents. And while I'm really very motivated to do exactly that, I think it, it sort of misses a, a little bit of the point of what we're trying to do, which is to say there are differences, right? You When you buy a Tissot PRX, you're getting a super dope watch. You're getting a classically designed, um, you, you know, something that's really fantastic. You're not getting a hand-finished, hand-built movement. You know, you're getting a machine-finished, machine-built movement. And that's okay. Probably for most people that enjoy watches, that's more than okay. In fact, it's probably better for most people who enjoy mm -hmm. Most people cannot afford the servicing on a 26330. Because it's gonna be a bucket load of money. It's gonna be ten. It's like a brake job on a Ferrari. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and so there there are some benefits there, but there it also bears repeating to to my point. Objectively speaking, there are some things about the twenty six three thirty movement that are really pretty special, super special. But I don't think I'm comfortable putting them. It, it specifically in the movement. <clears throat> the movement's super cool. I think that falls more into aesthetic for me than it does into actual into the motor's capability. I don't care if every piece of that motor is hand finished and like dredged in butter and oil and deep fried. I want the functionality. If they could do the 26330 in all of those craftsmanship, beautiful things and achieve an 80-hour power reserve, then it's more points. I think that unless the uh, all that finishing and everything uh, makes the movement better functionality-wise, I don't know if that's the right word, but... If it adds to the power reserve, if it makes it more reliable, keep time better, et cetera. There are some things there, you know, like the extra jewels and stuff that could. But I think if it doesn't and it's just fancy finishing, then it's aesthetics. I agree with you. Boom. Yeah. And, and that's sort of where the tension always comes, right? With value and like where do we cut off? Where do we cut off that functionality versus you know, whatever I, I say anachronistic a, a lot because I think the whole hobby that we're engaged in is purely such, purely such. Exactly. Yeah. So, you, you know, where you make that differentiation is, is important and personal and probably has a lot to do with what your goals are in terms of the hobby, but also, you know, as is evidenced by the, the this particular example, what your means are. May I continue? No. All right. I've got more to say. Daddy, you're up. <laughs> did you give did you give the scores? Uh, because they were close. Th they were close. So um I give them I give them matching aesthetic scores. The Nautilus gained a point in its durability, matching in the loom, matching in the X Factor. With for me, 
a PRX of 55 and the Nautilus of 58. I'm, I'm, I'm part of me may underscore the Nautilus. I think maybe the X factor should be higher with the, with the Nautilus. Perhaps the aesthetic should be higher. But it's also such an obtainium that it's hard for me to yeah. realistically evaluate this watch. It, yeah, I think that's that's a really fair point for me too. I, you know, I can't even I can't even fathom. Like, so maybe it's a seventy-one point watch. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it is, but, but I do think that even if you gave it a couple extra points, there it's up to sixty-two-three, which I think when you look at the PRX at fifty-five, that's still really good. It's still very close. Yeah, and it's the highest scoring watch of our affordables, which you'll see soon. It's a pretty good watch, and it's six hundred and fifty dollars, and not another mortgage. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, and and some of the mystique of some of the mystique of the Nautilus is built into its non availability too, right? Because you know, you compare the Nautilus perhaps to the Santos. Which is also a gorgeous watch. I should have done the Santos. Uh, super thin. Oh God, it's just it just disappears. Super functional, extremely wearable, iconic design. I, I mean, it's a lot of the things that you you, you know. The first wristwatch. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. It, you know, so when we when we when we talk about a watch like the Nautilus, you've got to sort of factor in that some of the reason it's iconic is because it's kind of hard to get. And and it wasn't always the case. It was popular before it was hard to get, certainly. Um, But I'm certain that its current sort of popularity and um, the, the FOMO or whatever around that watch has to do in no small part to the fact that you just can't get one. Oh, and and mentioning that, I think there's two other poor mans. There's a soup. There's a real poor mans, and then I think the Santos is the medium. I, the Santos is very achievable. It's sixty two, sixty eight hundred bucks right now on the Cartier website. You can buy it from the website. They will ship it to you for free. You could have it in your mailbox in a week, brand new in box. Is it that low? Yeah, I was thinking. Oh yeah, maybe I'm thinking the two tone. Yeah, no, no, I'm aware of the price. <laughs> Uh, another good analog for the Nautilus. My last the bagel sport. My last cheat bagel sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Eagle Sport. No, yes. no, the bagel sport. That's oh. different. Oh, I was gonna say the the the, the Q Timex Eagle Eye. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sub two hundred bucks. Yeah, you're gonna get a raging loud quartz movement, but still has all those same aesthetics. You're gonna lose water. You're gonna lose a lot going to the Timex option. But if you want that case shape, that that 1970s feel of a watch, that's there too. <laughs> it's not going to hold a candle to any of the scoring, objective metrics, any yeah. of the objective metrics we've talked about today. In its favor, I think the Q Timexes have Seiko movements, which are considerably less noisy than the Timex movements. Do you, we're, you know that the Q Timex is not allowed in this room. <laughs> While the microphones are hot, <laughs> it's just not allowed because it's so loud. I'm just saying it's less noisy than a Timex movement. I'm saying my Iron Man's silent <laughs> unless the battery's low and you push the end to glow. Will, Will, our our editor in chief, uh, Daddy, as Andrew likes to call you, uh, he, he's insisted that I do. Yeah, yeah, no, I know that's it's, weird, but it's fine. It's true. It's fine. 
What do you got, it's man? It's normal here. Safe space. Uh, so I have gone with a, a watch that I love and would love to own one day, the Omega Aquaterra. Um, specifically the 38 millimeter, but I'll take any of them. Um, but you'll see why I'm going to pick that size for this. So I think with the Aquaterra, you could say that you could pretty much take any other three-hand fixed bezel watch and say under $1,000, say that's the poor man's version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue it Triumph. is I the chocolate also... chip cookie of watches. Yeah. 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 GM Lang um, Blue Triumph. I mean, uh, to me, it is the cooler version of like a Datejust or Oyster Perpetual, um, which is also much easier to get than those two watches. Uh, just like the Cartier, you can go on Omega's website and buy it right now and they'll ship it to you tomorrow. <clears throat> um, but to go up against it, um, next day delivery is available I, I for go... it right now, just for the record. Yeah. See, yeah. there we go. We could order one tonight and we could share it. Dibs. Um, I wanted, I wanted to go super cheap and I was thinking about what the cheapest watch is and I figured out it's a watch I actually own because I do like the Aquaterra <laughs> and it's the... <laughs> It's the Casio Edifice. Uh, there's a couple of them, but the um, reference number starts with EFV-110. Um, there's a white dial, black dial, and a blue dial. Inter- now, these used to be... Yep. These used to be around 60 to 80 bucks. Um, it looks like Casio might be starting to phase them out. Uh, so they're still available on like AliExpress and a couple other random watch websites for like a hundred bucks. So they're still pretty cheap. But if you look at this thing, you can see that it is shooting right for the Aquaterra vibe. Yep. Um, it's got the arrow looking minute and hour hand, uh, you know, clean dial, applied markers, um, which I think falls a little bit more in line with the earlier Aquaterras before they went to the um, like pinstripe dials that they have now Be- mm-hmm. before they went to the nautilus dial <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um but uh it is a 40 millimeter 40 millimeter watch with 20 millimeter lug so it's automatically a favorite for this podcast yeah boy um, and the world o- over but as with all casios it's quartz um so it, you know that's going to keep the cost down a little bit more i don't does casio make any automatic I, I do not I, think so. I do not believe so nope there's yeah i don't think they there's do. gotta be an automatic g-shock have... somewhere out there <laughs> there's has to uh, yeah i don't know um i think the closest thing they have is probably the the radio controlled Oce- oceanus ocean and they got some solar anus sure you know sort yeah. of that <clears throat> not at all um but I, I think that if you want to get that Aquaterra vibe without going into, um, which I think we should do an honorable mention for, like the Christopher Ward C63s, that sort of mm-hmm. watch where you're getting close to like $1,000, this is probably the best you're going to get. And the white dial and the black dial, I think, are are really nice looking because they're white and black. But the blue dial is like a bright blue. It's a little It's not the quite. It's not quite, and, quite the right blue. <laughs> It's it's not it's it's not the Black Bay fifty eight blue. No, which is blue. good. Yeah, just good, great blue. Yeah, good okay. blue. Um, <laughs> so let me run down the, the scoring for these because I when we were going through this because this is the first time I've done this scoring scale for the show, and Everett was giving me a little bit of grief about some of my scores. 
and <laughs> I, I want to explain them. So water resistance, uh, 10 on the Casio, because for a $100 watch, it's got 100 meters of water resistance with a screw-down crown, which is cool. It's dope. Yeah, that's um, unusual for Casio. Yeah, I think uh, the, um, what's that dive watch? The Marlin. The Marlin, MDB. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. That's got a screw-down crown. Uh, but the Aquaterra's got 150, so that goes up to 11. Size, I gave them both a 10, you know, 38 and 40 millimeters. They're both in that range, So movement. Yeah. Movement is where I originally scored the Casio higher. Um, I settled on a five and I scored it higher because we were talking about serviceability and, you know, the, the durability of the movement. And we can get into the circle jerk of watches where it's quartz. It's more accurate than any automatic in the world, um, which it is. But that's not the we point. make you and I are on the same page here. I make this argument every time I score quartz. Yep. So. The Aquaterra, I gave an eight, which I actually wanted to give it a little bit lower because while the master coaxials are really cool, great feat of innovation um, in watchmaking, I, if I ever get one of these, not looking forward to servicing it. I have a feeling it's not going to be fun. It's going to be super expensive. And that quartz movement. It'll probably last for longer than the case of the freaking watch will. And if you ever do need to get another quartz movement, I'm sure you can find them on eBay and just replace the hands on the dial onto the new movement and off you go. Or you could um, just replace the whole watch for the same you could, price. But I, I don't know how long you're going to be able to find these. So that's why I say that you would probably be able to replace the movement. Buy six, pull the batteries. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, so you can do that. So... And I think that that kind of falls into durability, which I'll get to in a second, where I think either one of these watches, you know, you drop and it's probably going to be fine as long as you don't smash it on the ground. But anyway, on to strap. Uh, They're really close. Casio got a five. Omega got a six. Here's why. The bracelet that comes with the Casio is exactly what you expect. It has polished center links, which, you know, kind of goes off the... Aquaterra's bracelet with I think they still have polished center links or I think they do the outsides now I forget but they used to um, but it's got a decent clasp and hollow end link so you know nothing special there but it's a bracelet the thing with the Aquaterra is it's a nice looking bracelet um, I wish it was fully brushed but the clasp on that makes no sense this is the Aquaterra which falls kind of into like their you know Seamaster dive watch world yeah and it doesn't have any micro adjustments in the clasp. And it also doesn't have any, you know, the push button thing where you can slide it back and forth like you can get on the Planet Oceans. I mean, for a... And it's got a pretty uh, hefty, 60... it's got a pretty lengthy link too, right? Mm-hmm. So that lack of micro adjust yeah. is meaningful. Yeah. I think it has half links, but you're not getting a perfect fit unless you happen to fall right into the wrist size where that's going to work. Um. I, I don't see a reason why on a $6,500 watch that you can't get a clasp with some micro adjustments or Omega really needs to get on the uh, quick micro adjust train. They're slacking. I think even that um, the one that Speedmaster that Mike hates, the annual calendar, whatever the hell that one is that came out earlier or late last year, um, that came with the regular Speedmaster clasp that has the little quick adjust thing in it, but I think it's only two positions. 
It's like, why bother? What are you, what, what are you doing? <laughs> if, if you're going to the trouble. Uh, you, you know, I think o- Omega does an odd thing with its bracelets. We, we, you know, o- Omega, anyone who's handled an Omega bracelet is familiar with the quality, the fit and finish, right? So, so Omega mm-hmm. does a really, really good job with the construction and the elements of the bracelet. You, you know, the Omega end link system, it, it, if, you, if you've never seen it or you've never taken a Omega bracelet apart, you, you might not realize, but their end link system is really pretty cool. You don't, it, it doesn't connect the same way that most bracelets connect where the, the last link is kind of floating in space. In fact, there's a second piece that goes in there. My point is Omega does really good things with their bracelets, but they miss on like some of the really basic yeah. convenience stuff that other companies, even significantly less expensive companies are doing really well. I think they fancy themselves a tool watch brand. Well, and well they, I, and, and I like do. A, like a like a a banger, like a like Spartan brand. I, I think yeah. I think you're right, and, and and so maybe that even sort of puts a point on yeah. the deficiency there. Yeah, um, I I just wish that they would start getting to that point, and I think they're slowly working their way there. But I think. Probably when I get to the point where I'm ready to buy an Aquaterra, I think they'll probably be there. At least I hope so. They've been putting all their work and um, putting I, Snoopy on Speedies. That's yeah, where all the yeah, R and D exactly. is. And ninety thousand dollar gold Speedmasters. Um. Anyway, besides the point. S- uh, aesthetics. These were pretty close. I gave them an eight and a nine because uh, eight for the Casio and nine for the Omega, uh, the Aquaterra because they look very similar. Um. Where I think the Omega gets the extra points is the fit and finish of that watch. Mm-hmm. It's got the nicer lugs. Um, the, the Casio, the, the lugs curve down nicely and it, it fits really nice, but it's, it, you know, it's just brushed on the top and there's nothing that special about it, but it looks good. It looks more expensive than it is, which has something to it. It looks more like, you know, maybe a two fifty three hundred dollars $300 watch. It's finished well for Casio. Um, Loom. I gave uh, the Casio two because it has loom and it works. Uh, <laughs> it's not the best, of course. And then the the Aquaterra, uh, I gave it four. I've never had a problem with Omega's loom applications. I always think that they've been really great. I don't see why the Aquaterra would be any different. Um, yeah, four is the right score for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And X Factor uh, three and a four respectively for the uh, the Casio having the three. Um, and I, I think I could almost tie those up and say that maybe the Casio deserves the four because I think it comes pretty close to the Aquaterra and Everett. I took the, the picture of it for the tile and I was looking at the picture and I was like, those hands are really cool and they're, they're not polished, they're gunmetal. And I thought that they were always polished until I took that photo and I was like, that's cool that they actually didn't just throw polished hands in there. They're gunmetal there's something special going on there it has no business being as good as it is for the price for for the manufacturer it's just kind of like what what just happened here yeah yeah so my scores ended up being a 50 for the casio and a 58 for the aquaterra i think my original scoring was a little bit closer um but I, i i think that you can't go wrong with that casio I think that there is the potential that if you're the type of person that can just go out and, you know, spend $6,000 on a watch, sure. 
I think there is the potential to go wrong with the Aquaterra. Like, I feel like that's a watch you should definitely go try on at a boutique or an AD and make sure you like it. Because I think you can go wrong, especially with, you know, how their dials are, you know, with the the texture, the lines and everything and the way the bracelets fit. I don't think you can go wrong with the Casio. It's a really if you don't safe like the bracelet, Just, yeah, yeah put, a, put a strap on it. It's, it's a white or black dial or blue if you want the blue, but it's a white or black dial that's relatively plain. You can't go wrong with it. It's a great watch. I yeah. have one and I love it. You know, uh, I think it. I think it makes sense to just really briefly talk about what the aqua. So I, I don't know that many people consider the Aquaterra. It's not. It doesn't make many sort of iconic watch lists. I would say, and, and I say that without any sort of data. But I think it's fair to say, I agree that it is iconic, and it's it's one of the watches that kind of brought me into the hobby one of two watches actually there are two watches in particular the tag hoyer 2000 sort of a 90s quartz mm-hmm. tag hoyer and the aquaterra those two watches were my initial loves as i sort of started moving towards watches but what i mean what for you what for you guys makes that watch iconic to the extent you agree it is it's been in a james bond movie that's a big one that might be sufficient it looks and to me like the pinnacle of sport watches. So we're looking at your photo of the edifice right now. And I saw it from, I don't know, 24 inches away. And I thought it was the white dial C63. Hmm. And the... is very close. And, you know, when I look at the Aquaterra, I think Triumph... C63. I don't go Edifice right away, but I go with that really classic sport watch. Yeah. Like OP World, Explore One World, you know, take your pick of the the sport watch. I think that's it. I think I think the Aquaterra is kind of it, it's in the top three, perhaps, for that style of watch. I think for me, between for me, between the Aquaterra and and I think I made this decision before Aquaterra went with the horizontal striping. I think that horizontal striping is I don't love it. It's a misstep. Um, I don't know if it's a misstep, it's a misstep. but it's definitely for me dr- takes away from the utility the the utility of the watch. But the older versions of the Aquaterra really sing, gotta go anywhere, do mm-hmm. anything to me. I mean, it's the ultimate. You could you can do anything in that watch. You can wear it with a suit without. I mean, not even a second's consideration. You can wear it at the beach. You can wear it in the pool, hot tub. Uh, I, I mean, there are no circumstances <coughs> that I can think of. E- even you know, it's it's twenty twenty two, right? So you could wear it with the tuxedo. You there's nothing that would be inappropriate to do with that watch. And so I think you just said twenty twenty two so easily. Uh, well. It was impressive. It's the 18th. You're, yeah. That you can drop 2022 with that ease is impressive to me. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do what I can, but can thank you. I appreciate you. 2018 for me. <laughs> well, Continue. Sorry. You know, I think that's it. Um, but, but the edifice in mm. a lot of respects, it does all of those same things. You get the big water resistance. You get um, that really classic design. Uh, you, you know, the only thing you miss with the with the edifice is sort of 
the the cachet, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're wearing a mm-hmm. Casio, and, and so that's a meaningful difference. Um, what that has to do with our conversation today, I don't know, but that is a, that is something to think about. Um, but yeah, besides that, they're they're they do the same things. So yeah, I think it's a great a great pick. Well, I mean, I think all yeah. these were really really good picks because I, we didn't do you know like the Submariner or you know the Datejust or you know some some of those watches that comes on everybody's list where it's like what is the more affordable version of this? Well, it's because um, we've already you know, done all those. Yeah. yeah, we did I was do the big say, pilot already you know, though, you guys... so Everett is a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> um. But we didn't we didn't pick the usual suspects, mm-hmm. um, and I think that some of these, especially like you know the Andrew's pick with the Nautilus and the PRX, I think is a a good kind of quirky pick that a lot of people don't think about. You know, like that PRX is really popular, but in some ways it isn't because of you know it's it's got that K shape with the integrated bracelet, and it, like that's a turnoff for a lot of people. But when you look at it compared to the design cues that it's going for it's a really good buy for a watch yeah especially when you know you compare it to the hundred fifteen thousand dollar one but um you know you compare it to you know royal oak or anything like that that kind of falls into that same design and it, it it's killer it's literally like what, what is that 0.5 percent the price that yeah. you could buy a nautilus for 0.5 yeah. percent <laughs> yeah so well Great. I think any any closing thoughts on our poor man's picks today, you guys? I always have trouble not giving more points to a value brand for doing value brand to a less expensive watch for doing the same thing that a more expensive watch is doing. Yeah, and in fair in fairness to in fairness to our picks today and our scoring, you know, you and I have we've actually spent a consider like way more time than we than makes sense, sort of trying to figure out some sort of calculation for value, and we always come back to a couple problems with the the objective scoring metric, which is so stupid anyway, and because it's so perfect, how did we do this? <laughs> and factoring in value, you know, it becomes overly cumbersome. You, you know, I think you at home can feel free just to like substitute in a, a slash dollar figure, you know, point per dollar figure, you know, that might be meaningful. But we, we get back to that diminishing returns point, and that's going to be different for everybody. And so there's so much subjectivity in that. It makes more sense just to sort of this is the score it got, notwithstanding anything else, and that's it. And if you would prefer to spend $115,000 to $650, fuck yeah. Because if I had $116,000 that I was like, I really don't know what I'm going to do with this money. Oh, no, I would know. I'm going to buy a Nautilus. I might buy a Nautilus. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. That That's a ridiculous thing to say. But it's, you know, I would, that'd be a, if I was genuinely, genuinely, like I had cured hunger and everything in the world was right, I might buy a Nautilus. Cured you know? hunger, solved world cancer. A- and there was 115000 left. I'm getting a Nautilus. I don't know if I'm getting a Nautilus if I've accomplished those things. I'm probably way richer if I've accomplished those things. Other things, Andrew, Ooh. what do you got? 
Speaking of Nautilus. Yeah. So you do know my other thing since we talked about it. Uh, so you turned me on to this game. You asked if I'd heard about it. I was unaware. I'm not cool or anything. Um, I got a game a couple weeks ago. A video game. A video game called Subnautica. Not a new video game. Not new. Not even kind of. There's already a sequel. Um, it came out in 2014. No, 2018 yeah, on Windows. It is. I was trying to trying to like distill down what it actually is. Open world survival game. It's Minecraft for adults. Uh, so open world survival game. The whole premise of the game is you are a character who has just crash landed on an alien planet that is an ocean planet. You are somehow equipped to deal with said environment in your <laughs> life pod. Godspeed. The story isn't immediately evident. Yeah. The game just begins. Like you crash and then you wake up and you're on your life pod. And they're like, you're on your life pod. Good luck. And that's it. Like you you climb the ladder out of your floating life pod and you look around and you see the wreckage of this enormous spaceship. There's no tutorial. There's no mission one. There's no get to this point. It's just you are. You realize you're hungry. You realize you're thirsty and that you need to fix those things. Yes. And mine, my game started. So what I have also learned not everyone starts in exactly the same position. So they, they've been able to create this game that everyone can share and kind of the mystery of, but you can't get a, a real tutorial on this game because things don't occur in the exact same place for everyone. So I can't like look up a tutorial and say, head at this bearing for this many meters and you're going to find this and then return and go to this bearing at this many meters and find this. So everyone's experience is kind of different-ish. Not different, but just different enough. And I played for several hours, and I got kind of bored of it because I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. There's no story. There's no rules except you live or you die. There's no goal. And I just kind of, I, like, I put it aside. And then I went back to it. And now I'm you're deep into it. It is all I want to do. Yeah, all the time. I would take a sick day if it meant that I could stay home for 24 consecutive hours uninterrupted by family, dogs, children. I would get four pizzas delivered. <laughs> I would put a 30 rack on the table and then I would just sit and eat cold pizza and drink warm beer and play this game. You know, we talked about it about a week and a half ago, uh, actually about a week ago today. And I said, you know, uh, I, I'm just, I was at the time just a little further ahead of you. I suspect I'm just a little bit behind you in terms of progression of this game now. But I said, I think you're like right around the corner from opening up some, you know, mental uh, goalposts. And, yes. And it sounds to me like you did. It's an interesting game because... We talked about this, but the the achievements are not are not sort of 
there's no indexing, right, of the game. Everything yes. is very subtle. The achievements are very subtle. Sometimes you've achieved something and you perhaps don't realize you've achieved it. Or it's out of order-ish. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've, I've found myself consumed, like I was playing with my six-year-old today and I let him play because so much of it is it's just so open world. It's like it almost doesn't matter what you do. And I'd be like, dude, you're thirsty. You need to get water. Hey, you're thirsty. You need to get water. And then you find yourself consumed for like an hour on just like collecting resources to survive. And then you spend another hour organizing your resources in your lockers so that you know how to get to them. It's just like, oh my God, I'm like living the post-apocalyptic experience myself through this game. And I'm finding great enjoyment in organizing all of my storage lockers for all of the resources that I've spent the last several hours gathering and have made no progression in the game. It's like that time in You're just doing the Marie Kondo simulator. Exactly. I'm just I I'm now prepared to survive a little longer to still not understand exactly what I'm supposed to do in this game. That's why I say it's like Minecraft for adults. It's like that time in 2007 where everybody in the world got consumed by Farmville. Like, what are we doing here? We're all growing fake raspberries I think on it's increasingly closer large to that time in 2019 when you couldn't buy toilet paper or hand sanitizer or canned food. <laughs> marry, marry those two ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my other thing. It's Subnautica. It's available on any platform. You can buy a game. If you buy it digitally on Xbox, it's $16, and you will get more than $16 worth of uh, time wasted out of it. You know, we're, I'm playing it on Switch. We, when I bought it on Switch, I think it was like 25 bucks, and I got both Subnautica and the sequel, and I haven't even touched the sequel yet. So, and the sequel, I read about it. It looks worse. Okay. Well, Will, other things. What do you got? So, uh, you guys know, and some people might know, I do my uh, photography in my basement. Um, do you? you basement. Do you take but, pictures? It, sometimes. They're all uh, not a phone, often, but I didn't know that has a phone yeah. tripod. Exactly with a ring light. Yeah, like you know, I'm on a cool Instagram. Like an influencer. <laughs> um, so while I'm doing my my Instagram ring light photography, uh, I have to I I use my studio lights and I go turn off the lights in the basement so I don't get the light spill from that. So me being as lazy as I am, you know, I have to walk all the way over to the other side of the basement, turn the lights off. And then when I edit, I have to go turn the lights back on, turn my studio lights off. So I was like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. The so clapper. I just turn around and start editing. It, it, yeah, exactly. I wanted the clapper. So, uh, I found, I was like, let me go find a, like a smart light switch, the Wi-Fi switch. So I found these ones made by TP link, which they make routers and all kinds of stuff. Big company. Uh, the specific, yeah, yeah. The, the specific ones that they make are called Casa, K-A-S-A. Um, so I got one, and it was super easy to install. It was exactly like installing any other light switch. Um, the only extra thing I needed to do was take the neutral wires, you know, that's bundled in the back and loop that in. So it's one extra thing you have to do. And then the app is really great, super easy to set up. And I've got it linked to Alexa, so I can tell her to turn the lights on and off and everything. And I wish the lights had um, turned like, off. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> if I said the right thing, they would have. Um, uh, so I was like, this is great. And I went and told my wife about it. And I was like, I'm going to get one for our bedroom so that you can turn them on and off in bed. It'd be perfect. And she's like, that sounds great. You know, she didn't care. So uh, they had a three pack on Amazon. So I got three and I was like, 
I'll put one in the bedroom and then I'll do the kids rooms and I'll do our office. So I got a couple three packs. So <laughs> I put, I have these things all over the house now. I think I have nine switches total. Here's the cool thing. The, the Wi-Fi thing is, is great and everything. And I like being able to talk to Alexa. The cool thing is, is if you buy the TP link, uh, smart plugs, you can link everything that you want together in a group. So in our office, um, this, this might be a regional thing. I, I see it a lot in houses around us, but the second floors usually don't have ceiling lights. They're all controlled on, uh, like people put lamps and they're linked to an outlet switch. So you, you turn the switch on and it turns the oh, yeah. outlet on. I have outlet on. switches in this room. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's what our uh, second floor is like. Um, so in our office, we have, there's one light that turns on if you turn on the switch. And then by our desks, we have different lamps that we turn on manually. And I was like, well, I'll just link these together. So that way, when you turn the switch on, all the other lights turn on. And that's what happens. And it's amazing. And I feel like I... I feel like I live in a house where I don't have one lamp that turns on when you turn on a switch now. And it's, it's truly changed my lighting life. <laughs> and I'm telling everybody to go buy these switches because I think they're so cool. So when you were demonstrating for us and yelling at Alexa to turn the lights off, that was just controlling the room that Alexa could hear. Right? You weren't like, uh, you weren't no, like turning on and off all the lights in your house. Correct. But I could tell her to do whatever one because you name it like there's kitchen light office light and then our you know our kids rooms their lights and i could say turn that one on turn that one off turn this one on um my wife asked me she goes can you say turn all the lights off and it'll turn them all off and i was like i don't know but i'm gonna try when the kids aren't sleeping <laughs> so it, it's pretty cool um i'm sure there's a lot of people that you know have smart homes and they're like wow you're just figuring this out but um, I, I stumbled upon it to solve a small problem and then I ended up just putting them all over my house and I got a little out of hand with it. The, you, you've created <laughs> a, a really, really unique situation for some Halloween pranking this year for oh, your did, kid. My, my wife, she loves the one in the in the bedroom because she <laughs> yeah, always she gets in bed and then, yeah. And then she forgets to turn the light off so, you know, she has to get up. But now she's like... But the other night... <clears throat> The, I was down in the studio and the lights started going on and off, like on, off, on, off, on, off. And then it stopped. And I was like, she was pressing the wrong switch in the app. I guarantee it. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that's exactly what she was doing. Freaking out. Can't get the light off. Yeah, nah, that tracks. My, I was waiting for yeah. a text message like, the lights don't work. <laughs> she figured it out. They work great. <laughs> well, our, our bedroom has a... It's gotta it's gotta be greater than a three way switch, but it's got a, it's got several switches for one's like the master switch for the overhead, and then we have a second master switch and then individual switches right by where the just the shape of the room requires your headboard to be to control the fan and the light independent of the master switch. Mm-hmm. So it's almost smart. It's just as smart as as you are banging on the wall. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, Will, you you said an interesting thing, which is that people who are smart home, smart, uh, are probably listening to this a little, making poking a little fun at us, but we do this pretty regularly, right? It's like, I've discovered this crazy cool thing that 
everybody else has been comfortable with for a long time. But you, you, you know, it, it's it's we it's still wear watches. It's all yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, like well, I, it's like you don't care about it until you have a use for it. You know, it's like buying my 2003 Lexus. My my mirrors, uh, you know, if I put it in reverse, my mirrors tilt down. And I've just never seen anything that cool. Well, the thing is, that's it's actually, 20. That's cool. Mine don't do that. It's 2022. And so when I told you you guys about this, you and Mike uh, both kind of made fun of me. It was like, yeah, no shit, dum-dum. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we all get to this stuff at, at different times. So We just recently got doorbell cameras. That's right. <laughs> Ooh, that's fun. So I've got another thing. Do me. Uh, I've got another thing. Us do us. I'll do. I'll do you both. <laughs> uh, so I, I've talked about screwdrivers recently mm-hmm. on, on the show in, in in actually a couple different capacities. But I recently needed to repair a Nintendo Switch controller, and I realized that I didn't have the right driver bit which is, I think it's called a triangle bit or a tri-point bit, one of the two. Either way, I didn't have the right driver bit. And so in searching the correct name of the driver bit on Amazon, I found this company called iFixit. It's I, lowercase i, F-I-X-I-T, uh, sort of that like really sort of new age cellular naming convention which is a little silly and i've seen these i've seen these products before and what i assumed without any sort of research or understanding about the brand at all where these were kind of cheap amazon type products you know something that is affordable because they are often very time very affordable not always they can get a little bit more expensive um, but what I assumed is this was just kind of a shitty throwaway product. So probably not great bit quality, probably mm. not great driver quality. Um, but I, I this popped this brand popped up. Several of them popped up. And and looking at the Amazon reviews, oftentimes lots of reviews, almost all like five star reviews. And so I just Google iFixit quality and I found out this company is like a really, really well-respected in electronics repair com- uh, worlds. Without knowing anything else about it, I ordered a $20 basically driver kit. So 32 bits, a little, you know, driver and, and it comes in, it all comes in a case with like a foam stand thing and got this thing you know, Amazon. So three days later and I was blown away. So what I bought is the iFixit Moray driver kit. This is a 32 bit precision bit driver. Um, it's got a ton of standard bits, but it's also got sort of electronic specific size stuff. Um, this, this thing's incredible. It's incredible. The handle is plastic, but it's a really nice plastic. It's got like a sort of knurled surface, and it just feels like an incredible quality stuff. Is it a rubberized end cap? It it's the end cap is slightly rubberized. Yes, the the plastic is fantastic. The dry, the bits themselves fantastic. 
the stand. It's got the, or this case. It's got this little case. It's a magnetic closing case. And it's hmm. so, you know, that magnetic case closing thing. You close the case and it like goes. Like suctions and, almost. And then you pull it apart and you close it again. And, and you want to just do Makes it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I mean, tactile feedback. 20 bucks. And it was like, this thing is great. Like I would, I sort of wish I didn't have any other like precision screwdrivers. And I just bought one of these five years ago because they, they make slightly higher kits too. So I got the cheapest one you can upgrade for about 50, 60 bucks. I was just looking the $60 Manta kit was the, the driver quality is yeah. better. Uh, the, the handle quality mm-hmm. is better on that. I think that the bits are the same, but the handle quality is better. I mean, I just don't think, I don't think you, I don't know if it's going to be the same sort of bit quality as one of these German Weha or, no. you know, one of those, but I think it's probably pretty close. I'm super duper impressed by this brand. And they, they, they made their name uh, and this is where their name comes from with Apple repairability. Um, you know, um, we call it tutorials, you know, how to yeah. fix your MacBook Pro and all that kind of stuff. So I bet you that's where the the quality comes from is, you know, it's if you're repairing your $2,000 MacBook Pro, you want tools that feel nice in your hand and have that perceived quality to them. Yeah. So that's they probably went to a good manufacturer to get it done. Well, they, they clearly did. So r- really quality stuff. I'd say if you're in the market for anything, you, you know, we talk a lot about watch specific screwdrivers on this on this show. And I don't know that they have all the sizes that you'd want for watch specific repairs. But if you could, like, for instance, I used one of these to size a bracelet. I used this kit to size a bracelet recently, a watch bracelet. And... It it went just fine, and I was like, "Well, I could do all of the watch stuff I needed with this kit." And I'm not sure that's true, but I'm I like the size of the driver handle because my biggest bitch about jewelers' tools is that the handle is mm-hmm. too fucking small. Right. It like yep. and especially if you're gonna size a Christopher Ward bracelet, or f- for some reason a bracelet that is like tightened just a just a little bit too much torque on that screw, you need some ass. And you don't get ass on jeweler's bracelet handles. You just can't. I impaled my finger today using two jeweler's screwdrivers because it, fuck, I was doing this this battery replacement for one of my wife's friends' watch because my wife's like, oh, man, you know his watch. Is he going to do the battery replacement for you? <laughs> and I was trying to take off this stupid fucking strap and it was a fossil watch, and I don't think it even comes off. I think it molds off. So I have two screwdrivers on either side of like this six millimeter leather strap, trying to hold sufficient pressure to not drop it. And then I impaled myself with this third of a millimeter screwdriver, like right into the nail bed, just just below the nail and into the bed. Uh, I don't know, but oh yeah, if I'd had the ass, if I had enough purchase on a handle, I could have broken that tie easily, but it's a tiny little jeweler screwdrivers, you can't do that. Yeah. And the rotating, no, fuck it. I'm really sorry, Andrew. That, that's really what, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot was talking about when he said he liked Big Butt, it was his screwdriver handles. Yeah. And 7715s. It was like an iFixit, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I fixed it. I did replace the battery. Andrew, you got anything else? I'm out of things. Will, Will what about you? Thank, thanks for joining us. Anything you want to add before we go? You guys get no raises this year. Not yeah. tracks. This is bad performance reviews. Yeah. Hey, thanks you guys for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. You can check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20 at Watch Clicker. You can check us out on our website, watchclicker.com. Every week, multiple apps, multiple articles, multiple reviews. That's really, really the bulk of the operation shows up. Thank you to Notice Watches for supporting this episode of 40 and 20. You can right now until March 1st get 10% off any watch on the entire website using the code CLICKER at checkout. Thanks, guys. Notice. If you want to support the website, you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Uh, look, guys, that's how we afford all of our hosting, all of our hardware, all of our software. And it's not a small amount of money. So if you want to support us, we would genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. And don't forget to check us out next week for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.